Hello, I'm Anne Flaherty, and I'm here today on behalf of the Irish Cultural Centre in Hammersmith, London. As part of its remit, the ICC provides a platform for Irish authors to launch, promote and discuss their work. Its inaugural literary festival in autumn 2020 showcased a number of Irish writers from all parts of Ireland, from Canada and from America. This slightly shorter series is going to focus specifically on leading voices and writers from Northern Ireland. Today, I'm talking to Jan Carson. Jan is originally from Ballymena in County Antrim and is now based in Belfast. Her first novel was published in 2014. It was called Malcolm Orange Disappears and uh, won great critical acclaim, but it was her uh, novel in 2019. Was it 2019 or 2018? Uh, the Firestarters, uh, which won the EU Prize for Literature uh, for Ireland. The EU Prize for Literature in Ireland, Jan, isn't that the more correct term? Oh, I don't know. I think it's for Ireland. They're kind of the same thing. Okay. Anyway, since then, you've been incredibly prolific. Um, you've written uh, numerous short stories. Um, you're a regular contributor to BBC Radio 4, to RTE. And also, as well as your writing career, you're involved as a community arts facilitator in East Belfast, and which hopefully we'll talk about a bit later on. So I wondered if, Jan, you would put us in the picture as to what's mm -hmm. happening in Northern Ireland today in terms of writing, both writers based in Northern Ireland and writers who've left Northern Ireland and are living elsewhere. But there seems to be literally an explosion of talent at the moment and all sorts of literary prizes and awards going in that direction. So what's happening and why is this happening now? Gosh, first of all, can I say thank you so much for having me today, Anne. It's lovely to get to chat to you again. Um, and yes, I think you're absolutely right. There has been explosion is kind of a strange term to use in terms of Northern Ireland, but there has been. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's funny. Can you say tsunami. Tsunami. It's, <laughs> That's we, awful too. We quite often say explosion as well. I think it's a bit of a, a Freudian slip sometimes. Um, there has been a huge, seemingly a huge rise of new talent and established talent really hitting their peak in Northern Irish writing. And I think that the first thing that I would say is that, that possibly it's not as new as people think. I think there have always been really, really strong writers and strong literary voices coming out of the North. People are very aware of the, the poetry tradition. Yes. Um, Haney, Longley, John yes. Hewitt, um, some amazing poets. But there have always been fantastically strong prose writers here and playwrights as well. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I'm always very keen to say that we stand on big shoulders Absolutely. And, and also that perhaps some of this is about the, the market opening up and the platforms opening up for those Northern Irish voices to be heard. Um, you know, as the internet has developed and travel has become easier, some of these voices are getting heard outside Northern Ireland, which were never heard before. Um, but I, I do think there's been, um, you know, I, I first began writing in the North about 12 years ago when I moved back from America. And even then, there didn't seem to be just as many people writing. Um, there's a critical momentum. And some of it is that, you know, um, a community builds community. So as there's an energy and there are lots of people contributing and saying exciting things really, really eloquently, it encourages others to keep going. And we have these fantastic um, institutions or, or bodies like the, the Haney Centre at Queen's, like the Haney Home Place down in Balachie, uh, like No Alibi's Bookstore, like the um, Damien Smith at the Arts Council, who are very encouraging. So there's the right kind of atmosphere, I think, is there to breed new voices. Um, and the other big thing is there's a lot to talk about at the mm -hmm. minute. It's mm -hmm. never been a more exciting time. And I don't, I don't, necessarily mean exciting in a positive way but it's exciting and there's a lot of history a lot of politics happening in Northern Ireland at the minute and of course the writers are the front line and mm. um, they're always the first to engage and to comment and to um, sometimes satirise um, mm -hmm. and sometimes draw attention to things that, that need. To well, let's talk out. about that, uh, Janet, for a minute, if you don't mind. Could we talk maybe about how how um, a newer generation of writers is kind of revisiting mm -hmm. um, ideas associated with history and politics of of Northern Ireland and finding new ways to tell stories, whether it's using language in a different way or structuring their writing in a different way? That's something that's very, very new and energising, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And I think you've, you've hit upon a few different things there. So we've had a real reimagining of the structure of the novel with something like Anna Byrne's Milkman, mm-hmm. which is incredibly inventive and is exploring the kind of conflict issues we've maybe explored before, but in, in a really new way. Just the way she uses language blows my socks off. It's yes. incredibly inspiring. And then you also have voices who are approaching the the issues around the troubles through lenses that we haven't maybe looked through before. So something like Dairy Girls, which is looking at, you know, how teenage girls experience the conflict. There's not been very much of that written. Um, I've just um, read a a fantastic um, young adult novel called by Sue Devon from Derry, Guard Your Heart, which is coming out soon. And it's looking at the teenage experience as well of the conflict. possibly brought a little bit forward to more contemporary times. We've got fantastic LGBT voices that are coming through, looking at that kind of lens that hasn't been explored fully. So someone like Paul McVeigh's The Good Son, um, a wonderful novel that really explores that aspect of the the conflict history. Um, And, you know, a a book I really loved last year, Michelle Gallen's Big Girl, Small Town, which is bringing comedy into it and also looking at maybe some of those areas outside Belfast Derry, the kind of border areas, which we haven't heard enough stories from rural places. Um, So I think there's an infinite number of lenses that we still have to explore. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget your own book, The Firestarters, where you used magical realism to tell the story of um, events uh, from the working class perspective in East Belfast. Now, that was something that hasn't really come up in Northern Ireland before as well. Isn't that so? Um, I think I've just um, I've finished a wee paper on Brian Moore's work. This is Brian Moore's centenary year this year. And there are aspects of magic realism in his work. Um, now, in the Emperor of Ice Cream, maybe. Yeah, Emperor of Ice Cream, um, Great Victorian Collection and Fergus, which are both novels which are set outside Northern Ireland. But there is, um, he addresses, and Fergus particularly addresses a lot of issues from the North. Um, so there is a slight precedent, but it, it has been a question that's come up for me over and over again. You can possibly see Kurt Vonnegut peering over my shoulder here. And um, he's a big hero of mine. And a lot of my favourite writers used things like absurdism or fantasy or magic realism to challenge difficult periods of history, diff- difficult um, political regimes. Um, and I have always wondered why that hasn't been more apparent in the canon of Northern Irish literature. It's it's quite a straight, linear kind of way that we've tackled our story. Um, so it's very heartening for me to find that Brian Moore did dip his toe into magic realism, but I'm, I'm hoping to discover more writers like that. So in finding new ways to... Uh express language and to express memory. I wonder if there's also um, a, di- a dichotomy really between the, the the writer from Northern Ireland who wants to find new ways of looking at the past, but is also worried about becoming stereotyped or pigeonholed as a, mm-hmm. you know, Northern Ireland, oh, that's another misery memoir type of book. Absolutely. I mean, we I often talk about how Northern Irish writers get caught in this kind of bind. Um, there was a while there, and I do think it's changing a little bit. I think Milkman opened up a lot of things for us, and people are, are interested again in Northern Ireland because of the bre- of Brexit and the issues around the border and things. But there was a while that you couldn't shift a book about Northern Ireland for love nor money. Publishers would have said to you, nobody's interested in Northern Ireland anymore. And yet you'd also get this kind of double standard of, as a Northern Irish writer, being expected to address the troubles in your work. So we were both being told no one's interested in that anymore. And why are you not writing about your history and the, you know, the the politics of the place that you come from? Um, Which I I find as a a younger writer coming up, really, really difficult to navigate. And I think Possibly Milkman changed that a little bit because, uh, you know, as we've just been talking about, it showed people that not every story has been told yet, that there are lenses and methods that we still need to explore. And I hope with something like the Firestarters, which is set in contemporary Belfast, that I'm making the point the story isn't over. You know, we can't draw a line under the triples and say it's done. Forget about it. It's still an active piece of history. So I do believe that there are more books to be written and more books which need to be written as well. Hmm. Well, I think you're right, because even a younger generation of writers who didn't maybe grow up 
uh, with the army on the streets or with explosions happening all around. But there's still the fact that these things go into the next generation. There's the memory of trauma. And while it might not have happened to you know, that writer growing up, there's still family might have been affected or they'll have heard stories. So, you know, you absorb a certain amount of it, even though, you know, it may you may not have lived it, the active conflict um, years. Isn't that so? It's very hard to shake it off your yeah. back. Yeah. And we're very much still living with the repercussions of, exactly. of the conflict and that legacy of trauma, which um, I think Lara McKay explored wonderfully in her work if folks haven't read her essays yet they're a fantastic and really quite challenging read in places as she looks at kind of things like the, the mental health issues that we've been left with and um, the legacy of poverty and um, there's a lot still to be said and explored there um, but yes. I, I also think Anne it's really important that um, our I, I hate using the term young because I think emerging is maybe a better term because some of writers here come into their first book or publication they're not young I'm not young we're just uh, getting getting started a wee bit later so some some of our emerging writers don't want to write about the troubles and I think that's absolutely fair as well and um, you know they shouldn't be typecast and restricted by these stories they should be allowed to write about you know gender and class and sex and money and whatever they want to write about as other writers around the world get to do and mm-hmm. um, to me, that makes a healthy writing community that we're all writing about, you know, that little idea at the back of your head that you just can't get rid of. Mm. Well, that's true. And and as you say, the ideal uh, society is one in which you if you want to write about, you know, the troubles and conflict, that's fine. And if you don't, that's also fine. And if the needs or the requirements of, of the publishers and the readers are changing, um, I suppose it's about then looking outwards into internationalizing or globalizing your book so that you're not pigeonholed. So what are the um, opportunities then for writers from Northern Ireland to do that? Is it, uh, is it more difficult because they come from Northern Ireland to write a book that has absolutely nothing, you know, no shadow at all of, of history in it. Um, because you did mention earlier about there was an expectation that if you come yeah. from the North. Um, it's a really good question. And I, I think some of it is how we present ourselves. So I'll take the example of a, a book like Susanna Dickey's Tennis Lessons, which came out last year and is a, a really, really great read. Um, no mention of the troubles at all. Um, Susie doesn't present herself as a Northern Irish writer who engages with the troubles. She presents herself as um, an emergent writer who's interested in these issues and these topics. She's got a very international persona about her. Um, and it's only probably whenever she begins to speak that you hear there's a bit of a Northern Irish accent there. Um, so I, I think it's possible to be a Northern Irish writer and to write about universal themes which are not pinned to you know a, a place like Northern Ireland at all and um, I also think there's another question in what you're asking there about how how well Northern Ireland translates outside of Northern Ireland um, and it, it's something that I have struggled with a bit and of recent been both surprised and um, probably disappointed in equal measure and um, the Firestarters has been translated into 11 different languages now and it's super interesting to me to see which countries have resonated with it. So Spain have, the, the people in Spain just love it. And it's doing really well in South America at the minute because there's they understand the complexities of identity and they understand the kind of post-conflict themes. Um, other countries just haven't gone for it at all. They don't get it. Um, and some of it for me as a writer who explores the kind of Protestant unionist side of the narrative some of it is it's because the other narrative people are much more familiar with it outside of Northern Ireland. So when I go to America, it's it's very much the nationalist narrative that people will be familiar with. I'm not saying that they're making a value judgment on it. It's just that Hollywood and, you know, TV programs and things, they tend to present that side of the story. Um, so it's been much harder out there to um get people interested in a book which isn't about you know the IRA and the the, the more republican side of of the the paramilitary story you've been very well received in the south haven't you Jan 
I remember you saying yeah. that you went down to the Listowel Writers Week and some women followed you down the street and said, could you ever tell us what, what is an orange man? I, I have loved that and I, I'll have to I have to say it's not even just in the south it's throughout the whole Ireland of Ireland um, mm. the book has been really well received by the Catholic community um, with that kind of openness of there's things in this book that we don't understand or we don't know enough about and we're keen to learn and I absolutely love that it's really humble and it makes me ask the same of myself as someone who, who grew up in a conservative Protestant community do I know enough about the other experience? Have I asked the right questions? Have I had the, the right conversations? Um, and I think that's been incredibly heartening, you know, as, as we move into a period of Northern Irish history where everything feels very up in the air and we're going to have to have really hard, difficult questions about each other's cultures and cultural identities. If we can retain that spirit of, um, I don't know enough about you, but I would love to learn. Can we start a conversation? That's a really healthy starting point for me. Um, I, I don't know if that's a universal experience everybody's had, but I've certainly had it universally as I've, I've toured the fire starters all around Ireland. Well, I certainly remember the night that you came to see us in the Irish Cultural Centre in Hammersmith. That was October 2019. And that was a fantastic evening. And so many people said afterwards that they'd learned so much from talking to you about your upbringing and about your influences and about life in Northern Ireland in an aspect of life that they had never really considered or understood. And as you say, it was maybe the start of a conversation for a lot of people. Um, and um but it also strikes me that getting away almost from the whole political uh, situation, past and present, that in your in in your work in your short stories and let's say uh, at the the work that's being broadcast on BBC Radio Four at the moment, the Last Resort, um, that's much more about ordinary life, isn't it? And um, and that's much more uh, that is rural based, of course, as well because it's a it's a, a little seaside village. But it's about ordinary people and your short story as well um, in, in the car with the rain coming down, where you have really very ordinary, typical situations of families out in a picnic and dialogue and little uh, internal dynamics and all that sort of thing. That's a very vibrant part of, of your writing and I suppose of Northern Ireland writing as well. It's got a very distinctive sense of place. But it's not always political. It's also about yeah. family life and ordinary people. I think I think yes and no. Um, for me, and um, growing up, um, there were not very many stories that um, I could lay hands on that explored those kind of experiences that you're talking about. You know, I grew up in Ballymena, which is a Protestant, mostly Protestant market town in rural County Antrim. Um, and that experience of rural life, of, um, you know, maybe middle class life, of farming life, um, Protestant evangelicalism, those were all things that, you know, they're, they're very rarely explored in Northern Irish literature. So I do feel that in giving voice to those folks, even though they're not addressing politics with a capital P, it's still a political act to give those people back their voices. Um, I'm currently working on a commission for NI Screen looking at John T. Davis's amazing 1989 documentary, Dust on the Bible, which is a documentary about Protestant evangelicalism in the North. And there's not a single woman, so there's one slight bit but it's 50 minutes, 55 minutes of men talking very loudly. Um, and what I'm doing is going back in and writing monologues about the women who are in the background of those stories. And mm -hmm. I see that as quite quite a strong political act. That that's, It's a, a documentary about, you know, for me anyway, it's about how women were silenced in the evangelical Protestant movement. So sometimes giving people a voice is a political, a political act. act even though they're not saying, you know, they're not saying something about the, you know, what's happening in Stormont or on the border or anything like that. Mm, mm. Yes, that's true. Well, it can either be a sort of, I suppose, an active political act and that you specifically set out to do it, or it could be a, a partly an artistic or almost a um, <clears throat> subconscious one and where you just feel you want to write about <laughs> this community or so I wondered could we just talk a little bit about your own background and your own upbringing and how how you came to to uh, your you know your writing career 
Yeah, um, um, I definitely wasn't a young writer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm more in the emergent category. You weren't me, Jan. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> if you could see me up close, you would see the wrinkles at the minute. Um, I um, grew up in a Presbyterian community, um, quite rural. We lived in Ballymena, but we belonged to um, a Presbyterian community in a much smaller village out in the country. So I would say that's where I grew up, really. Um, not a lot of art or culture in the house, um, very much almost the other way um, of, you know, culture being something to be wary of at best and seen as sinful, maybe at, at the worst end of the spectrum. Um, although my parents were great and really encouraged me to read. So I've always been a big reader. Um, and what and were you reading? What was the young Jan Carson reading? growing up um my favorite was Joan Aiken and I um I'm not sure if you know Joan Aiken's work her her uh, most famous book is The Wolves of Willoughby Chase um she was kind of like a much more feisty version of um some of the you know I originally read Enid Blyton and all of the, the normal children's stories um, the women in John Aiken are a lot more feisty um, and there's a lot more violence and dark stuff. And I love that. Um, so I read a lot of that, but I came very early to adult literature, probably too early. I started reading Agatha Christie when I was eight. Um, and I and you're still a big fan of Agatha Christie, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I've got Poirot behind me as well. You can probably see. Mm-hmm. Last year, I read all 66 super crime fiction novels for the centenary. Um, and I am such a... a a strong fan of her work and a strong fan of her as a person um you know if, if anybody has dismissed her as just a kind of genre fiction writer I'd really encourage you to read some of her her best novels but also read a little bit about her life and um, she was a formidable woman and very 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 um, inspiring so yeah I um, came to Agatha Christie um, did my undergrad degree at Queen's in English um, and then I actually worked for churches for a long time, I think about 10 years nearly, and um, working for a number of different churches, and um, mostly as a kind of youth worker capacity. Um, when I was 25, I took a job in a church in the west coast of America, in Portland, Oregon, and it was a very different experience. It was a very artistic community, very open-minded, liberal, um, and that's where I fell in really with writing. Um, can I stop you there, Janet? Sorry to interrupt you, but can you can you just um, <clears throat> tell us how you ended up in Portland? How did that come about? Were you anxious to get out of Northern Ireland in the you know in the way that a lot of the people in Northern Ireland want to get out? They feel oppressed or they need a change. Yeah, I think I was anxious to get away from Northern Ireland, and I was anxious to be unknown for a while. Um, and one of the things that, about Northern Ireland that I've always struggled with is nothing to do with the troubles or the legacy of the conflict. It's the smallness of the place that, you know, wherever you go in Northern Ireland, somebody will know your auntie or your granny or and it always trickles back to, you know, the, the family, what you've done. Um, so I want it to be anonymous for a while, partially, I think, because this idea of writing was lingering at the back of my head. And I need it to be in a space where people wouldn't dismiss that and, you know, make it small and go, oh you know, it's an, another phase she's going through kind of thing. Okay. Um, so um, Portland gave me a brand new start. And I honestly, I sent my CV out to a load of different places and it just so happened. That's where I ended up. Didn't realise how lucky I was. If anybody's been to Portland, it has the world's best bookstore. And um, Powell's is just amazing. And it turned my life upside down. Um, I got to, they were a very, um, open-minded attitude to to um literary events so they're all free and you just line up and hit the first 200 people get in and I got to hear you know people like Salman Rushdie and Patty Smith and Jonathan Safran Foer and Douglas Copeland and being that close to the writers I was reading really it made the idea of being a writer much more accessible um, and I was also around people who were writing and creating for the first time in my life um, so I, I came back from Portland after four years with a serious writing habit of writing three to four hours a day. Um, and it wasn't too long after that that I started getting things published. Do you think, John, if you hadn't gone to Portland and had that experience that you may never have um, been able to embark on your journey as a writer, that you wouldn't have had that exposure to another life? Would it have, um, could, you, could you have gone in a different direction altogether, do you think? 
that's a really scary thought and I, I'm not too sure. I do think I would have found it desperately difficult to start writing honestly about home and some of the issues and the experiences I'd had here. Um, it's one of the things I've been studying Brian Moore's experience quite a lot for the last few months and he too had to leave Belfast to move to Canada in order to start writing about Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's a, a common trope in the writer that you need to put a bit of distance between yourself and your your childhood um, and it, it definitely the experience of being away from Northern Ireland gave me a confidence that I hadn't had before um, to op- open my mouth and to speak and to get things down on paper and to use my voice to talk about about things I think needed said. So when you started writing in Portland were you writing about Northern Ireland? Were those um, the sort of things you were looking I, at with a different I was, perspective? I, I was a very interesting I haven't thought about this for ages Anne so thank you for asking and um, I was a very allegorical writer at the start so um, possibly because I grew up with the King James version of the Bible as my primary text and there's so many allegories and parables and things in there so a lot of the stories I was writing they weren't set anywhere really but they were very much exploring concepts and ideas. And when I look back at them now, I can see they were concepts about Northern Ireland. So um, there's a story at the end of Children's Children, my first short story collection, which is set on an unnamed island with two the last two people who are left on the island who have to marry to balance it out, but they're both from different sides. Um, and that's clearly uh, you know, an extended allegory about Northern Ireland, but it's not it's not specific to any place so that's the kind of work I was writing. Mm -hmm. So when you came back then what 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 was happening in Northern Ireland when you came back did you see any progress at all or did you come back and sort of slump and say nothing's changed? Um, I came back in a terrible huff so I did Um, I did not want to come back I came back because my work visa ran out and I I was determined to absolutely loathe and hate the place. I lasted a year and then I went to London for a year and came back kind of repentant um Northern Ireland wore me down it was very much trying to say this isn't the city that you you think it is it's changed a lot in the last wee while and it really had um, and when I grudgingly kind of admitted that it was actually quite a nice place to live and there was a good community of artists here and it was cheap I mean we don't talk about this enough but it's a very affordable place for an artist to live I couldn't afford to buy a house in any other city in in Ireland at the minute probably um so all of those things I think I remember like my brother um having a conversation with him and I was in tears and I was like really like it here it's actually quite good and I didn't want to admit that um, but it broke me after a while and I had to had to admit that yeah this was actually quite a good place to, to live. Mm-hmm. But this time you were living in Belfast uh, not yeah. in Ballymena so you'd moved now from the rural you know heartland where your parents were still living and on where you'd spent your childhood and now you're living in a city so that maybe maybe made it a bit easier you were a bit freer to express yourself and as you say the the artistic community was was flourishing I don't know what year you're talking about there um, um, this would have been um 2010 okay yeah. okay so lots of things had changed um so perhaps the, the fact that you, you know, had gone into exile for those four years, like so many other Irish writers uh, have said that, they, I mean, there were so many Northern Ireland writers, uh, writers from Northern Ireland living in, in England, living in London or, you know, Michelle Gallen's down in Dublin and uh, so, so many. Well, so going right back to James Joyce, you know, there's always been that tradition of exiled which gives a different perspective then on on the on the home country but um so going to say when you came back then to Belfast and you found that uh, there was a more of an artistic um, flourishing going on um what what did you actually do then to make a living because one of the one of the issues that I hear coming up uh, you know often is the difficulty of actually making a living from writing Mm. Um, I was really, really lucky. Um, I fell into a job as an outreach officer in the Ulster Hall, which I didn't realise was the best job in the entire world until I got into it. And it really was. And I I was there for uh, nearly seven years. Um, And 
it once again it put me at the heart of a community of creative people you know when you work in a music venue there's all sorts of creativity going on around it Um, and as outreach officer I also began to get to experiment with things like facilitating writing workshops and hosting events and all of those things that gave me experiences that when I finally went freelance and quit the day job in 2017 um, I had oceans of experience and contacts through that so um, I still um, do a lot of community arts facilitation um, to supplement the income that comes in from writing and those seven years in the Ulster Hall were just an invaluable kind of you know it was like work experience on the job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And have things improved for writers in terms of bursaries and scholarships and funding from the Arts Council it, you know has it become any easier for people to actually commit themselves to writing full-time? Or is there a huge amount of work that's needed in that area? I think if I can once again say both yes and no, I think it has improved a little, but it has not improved enough. I would really challenge anybody to be nothing but a writer Um, in the North at the minute. um, I think our Arts Council do the absolute best they can with limited support from Stormont. Um, I'm always quick to point that I don't think it's you know, the problem's not the Arts Council level, it's coming from from behind. Um, that You know, we have a government that doesn't really support the arts. You know, they haven't gone bent over backwards to champion us or to see the, the point of what we do. And until that changes, I don't think there's going to be any significant um, financial support for artists here. Um, I also find it quite hard to talk about in that I, I have been really, really fortunate. And because I have so many different hats that I can wear, I've been able to manage OK. But I, I can point to my colleagues and friends who've really struggled. Um, and I, you probably know yourself that literature is one of the areas that has translated reasonably well into this new kind of post-pandemic world of online events it's a lot easier to do this than it is to stage a play or you know be part of a a dance company Mm -hmm. Um, so I think we writers have um, you know it's not been easy but it has been slightly easier than it has for other art forms. Mm -hmm. Um, Given the the um, advent of Brexit shall we say and the fact that Northern Ireland is still a very kind of fluid and shifting and changing society. Um, how do you think that is going to impact on on writers? Um, in the first term, and I'm going to say this, probably nobody wants me to say this, but it has been great for commissions. So um, over the last five years, the amount of people that have asked us to, you know, can you write a wee thing about Brexit? Can you write a wee thing about the borders? Can you write a wee thing about the centenary? Um, there's been a lot of immediate kind of work that has come through that. And jogging aside, I think that has led to giving us a platform into other issues. So we began by asking why the explosion in Northern Irish voices in literature. Some of these issues that are coming up are the reason behind that. You know, Northern Irish writers are being given platforms to speak on things like um, Darren Anderson was on Front Row on Radio 4 the other night. And, um, you know, I quite often turn the radio on now and hear somebody that I know. And that didn't happen 10 years ago. Um, And I also think folks are realising that, you know, we have things to say. We're quite eloquent. You know, we're we're competent. So there's it's generating itself. Um, I'm also afraid I don't know what the future looks like in terms of, you know, for we're, we're a very small place, a tiny little country tucked up on the edge of a continent. I need to be able to travel to other places and go to other book festivals and take up residencies and things to be able to support myself financially. Um, and we don't know yet what, you know, the implications of Brexit are going to be is and even as well the implications of COVID as we move out of this so it's it's quite a fearful time as well to be a writer in the north. Mm-hmm. How has the pandemic and the lockdown affected you do you think and other writers in terms of um, being able to I don't know keep in touch and and keep um, keep going you know uh, some some writers have said they found it incredibly blocking to be shut in at home 
and not whereas you know a, a lot of people would say oh well you've plenty of time now you should be getting on with you should have loads of things to write about um I'll say before I say this that this is just me and my own personal experience and one of the things that I I think is really important as we move through the pandemic is that everyone acknowledges we're all experiencing it on a different different kind of way and we're all experiencing difficult but my version of difficult is different to someone else's um, and I I don't judge or think that I'm doing it right Um, I have been frantically busy like crazy busy um, I did 270 online events last year from um, the point the pandemic started until the end of the year, simply because there was such a clamour for um, content. So, you know, as as um, organisations and festivals moved online, they needed to get writers and people like me to generate stuff. And where I wouldn't have maybe got a flight to go to Japan to be at a festival, it suddenly became accessible to have me do some events at a festival in Japan online. So my presence went much, much more international over the last year. That was the good part of it. The negative part of it was I found it quite difficult to write, um, partially because there's been so many demands on my time um, and it's quite disruptive having, you know, to do three events a day or something like that. Um, and also because I live by myself and I'm running out of things to write about. Um, and I've heard a few people starting to say this. I'm a nosy observational writer. I need to be out listening and airwagging and watching people and searching out the stories. I've run out of things to write about a two-up town in East Belfast. Um, I just I want some more material. So um, I've done quite a lot of editing this year. Um, I've done a, um, some really nice commissions like the NI screen one that I, I mentioned. Um, but I find it desperately hard to make any inroads into a big novel or a big piece of writing. Have other of your uh, writer friends or other people you know in Northern Ireland who are writing or creative artists, have they said similar things to you? Um, yeah, I think a lot of people are struggling with this kind of blockage. I mean, um, I have conversations online with them from time to time. Um, some of them are fine and they just got the head down and use this kind of space between travel to, you know, fire ahead with something. Um I think, I mean, one of the super interesting things for me, and I, you could maybe psychoanalyze this, um, I would mostly be a writer who works in the third person. And I have been absolutely incapable of writing anything but first person since March. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm too much in my own head, but what always comes out is a first person experience. Um, and I'm hoping that will change. So some of us are, are, I've talked to other writers here noticing strange little things like that coming up, you know, that they, they used to be able to, used to be much more long form and now they've moved to writing flash fiction mm. or, you know, it, it has changed the actual way we write for some of us. I think that's possibly true in relation to your own flash fiction when you did the postcards books. Yeah. Um, which uh, I think you wrote at a time when you were feeling blocked, am I right? Yeah, and just were. actually the physical discipline of having to dash off a few hundred words, that might be a way of, it sounds like a very good lockdown project for people who are struggling mm-hmm. to to write. Yeah, I mean, I, definitely the first book of, of um, Postcard Stories was very much um, something that I used to push myself through that writer's block experience. And I did write postcard stories all the way through the first lockdown and sent them out every day to isolated people in nursing homes. And um, and it was, it was lovely, but it, it was more of a fun project to keep in connection with some of my community arts workshops that, you know, had disappeared in, in the, the pandemic. Um, so it kept my brain taken over, but there's probably nothing there of huge literary worth that I would want to go back <laughs> and resurrect. Um, mm. And I hope I hope things, you know, as you know, as we move through the next six months, I'm hoping to be able to focus down again on a novel because I would love to get back to a bigger piece of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about women, and obviously, I think the lack of representation uh, of women in in, in in all areas, shall we say, of, of, of life, it seems to be something that's um, on your mind a lot. Um, 
given the fact that a lot of the emerging and established younger writers from Northern Ireland are women, do you think that the absence of conflict has now left a kind of space for women who had maybe been felt that they were marginalised by, I think what someone described as the masculinity of the conflict, that that has freed up um, space for women's voices to be heard? Yeah, and I think the emphasis there is on the word heard. I think those women's voices were always there. Um, I have been, um, as I, I write these monologues in response to the film, I've been thinking a lot about um, the Canadian writer Miriam Toa's book, Women Talking, um, which came out a few years ago. And it's about, um, I think it's a Mennonite community um, in Canada. And it's the women gathered up in the loft of the barn to talk. And the men don't think they are talking, but they're up there talking away, having these really rich conversations, analysing everything that's going on in their community. The humour is amazing. Um, and it really speaks to me of the Northern Ireland that I grew up with, that the representation of women didn't tally up with what I knew of women. So, you know, my, my world was evangelical Protestantism. And I sat under preachers like Paisley, who were very loud and verbose. And I sat in churches where women weren't allowed into the pulpits and they weren't allowed to speak. And then I went into the kitchen and I heard the incredible conversations and um, the analysis of what was going on in the world and the community, the humour, the you know camaraderie. And it didn't tally up. I was like, these are not women who have nothing to say. These are women who have not been allowed to say it. Um, and I, I think that's really important that um, we make this that distinction that it's not suddenly there is an explosion of women with things to say. They've always been there. They've just not been they've not been able to break through that glass ceiling of being heard, mm. um, which I, it's, it's so heartening that I think it's starting to change a wee bit. Mm -hmm. I think um, that really resonated with me reading um, Milkman. The, there's that sense of oppression, you know, and uh, and conf being confined and into into that, you know, society that she described. Um, I'm just thinking of other voices that are, are being maybe starting to be heard in Northern Ireland. Um, for example, um, lots of people have now emigrated to yeah. Northern Ireland. You have Polish people, you have people from Africa, people from all over. And also, you know, there's the whole uh, discussion around, you know, gender based issues. So there are more voices from the margins, shall we say, for want of a better word, now coming into the artistic community. Isn't that so? Absolutely. I mean, the, the diversity feels very different from what I grew up with as a child. Um, you know, the, the Northern Ireland I grew up with was very, very white and felt very, um, very, very similar. Like, you know, lots of people having the same experience as me. Um, and I, once again, I don't think it's that the diversity wasn't there. I think some of it, particularly with the LGBT community, there is a strong history of LGBT activism and identity in Northern Ireland, but once again, some of it has not been allowed to, to surface. So it's great to see that happening. Um, and I think um, particularly with the kind of um, diversity that's coming from people moving to Northern Ireland from other places, I am just so intrigued by the perspective that brings. Um, we had a symposium of Northern Irish writers in here um, about two weeks ago, and there were a couple of um, writers who've moved to Northern Ireland from places like South Africa and other African countries. And to hear them bring in their own cultural experience and putting it up against um, the problems that we have in Northern Irish society. Um, you know, if you're from South Africa, you've got a lot to say about sectarianism. Um, and it's wonderful to have those fresh perspectives coming in because we can be a bit of an echo chamber sometimes. One of the things that happened in the wake of that or around the time of that symposium was um, you um, went on radio um, to talk about Northern Ireland writing and you wrote in your blog afterwards about something that disappointed you. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You're talking. Yeah. I'm talking about that clip from the Derry Girls that was going to be used to illustrate the 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 talk. Yeah, I did. Um, I did a couple of big radio shows, and I won't say what they are, but one was in the UK and one was in the Republic of Ireland, and both 
proposed leading with um, what we call the blackboard clip here in Northern Ireland and um, the clip from Dairy Girls where there is a list of you know what Protestant Catholic differences um, and both both radio shows felt this was um, kind of summed up the kind of issues that we would be talking about at the symposium and it was just desperately disheartening to realise that there are still a huge amount of people in the UK outside of Northern Ireland and in you know the rest of Ireland who think that those are the only issues that Northern Ireland Irish writers would want to address and um, I'm very 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 um you know you know I want to emphasize that I think it's important that we do address those issues I'm not dismissing them at all but they're not the only issues on the table um, and if you know if they'd actually been able to watch the symposium to see the diversity those incredible emerging voices coming through tackling issues way beyond sectarianism and they'd know that it's a much more nuanced conversation that we're having now and I guess for me I find it worrying that you know as we move towards perhaps conversations around a border poll conversations around a united Ireland and we need to know Everybody, everybody's experience in across Ireland, not just these preconceived notions. We need to be aware of what Northern Ireland is like now, not what it was like 25 years ago. We need to be aware of those people who have moved there and are changing it and have brought their own cultural experiences with us. Otherwise, you know, that this is where tension and division comes from, not stopping to fully understand the complexity of another situation. So I guess it was kind of a bit of a wake up call for me. Mm. So what do you think can be done to 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 stop that um, that stereotypical stereotyping of the Northern Ireland writer and reducing it to that kind of single issue? Um, a, couple, a couple of things, Anne. That's a great question. Um, I have personally committed to respectfully challenging it when I see it anywhere. So, um, you know, people who have moved forward on things like um, ethnic diversity and inclusion of, of disability and inclusion of women even. They had a long road of stopping every time someone said something ignorant or ill-informed or excluded someone and saying, excuse me, you've done that. Um, so I think we need to get better at that. So, you know, when I see anthologies that propose to be Irish writing anthologies and have no voices from the North, I need to respectfully say, why have you excluded us? Um, and I also need to, to challenge, you know, I, I grew up with watching BBC representations where any Northern Irish actor would either be a paramilitary or, um, you know, a, an abusive husband or an alcoholic. And we need to, you know, if you did that with any other kind of type of person, it would be seen as racism or, um, you know, some kind of, 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 bad judgment and yet we've let it slide we need to get better at that so that's one thing I think we need to do and the other thing which is a much more positive hopeful thing is we need to keep writing a lot of stuff the more the more books the more poems the more plays the more stories that come out they express the fullness of what it means to be from the north the complexity of it the awkwardness of it and um, the more we have conversations like this where hopefully people learn and move forward. And the emphasis also falls upon us that we need to be having the conversation the other way around. So it's not enough for me to stick my head in my sand in the sand and ignore what's going on in the wider UK, what's going on in wider Ireland. We need to be involved in learning as well. Mm -hmm. And events like the symposium may be expanding that maybe north south. And, you know, do you feel there's a good relationship between writers in Northern Ireland and writers in the south, writers in the UK? Yeah. Is there? Um, I, I'll be really honest. For the most part, I don't think the problem is with other artists. Um, artists are by nature um, open minded, challengers of systems, um, inquisitive they want to learn um, and I, I always use the example of like the fire starters has allowed me into conversation with writers from across Europe and the ones I've resonated with are tend to be from post-conflict situations like our own mm -hmm. um, and I don't know anything about Ukrainian history or the history of Belarus but there's a sense of tell me about your history I want to learn, I'll tell you about mine, and we learn together. So I, that has always been my experience of other artists and writers. Mm -hmm. I think 
the problem is mostly in the systems. So the, the problem is up in the publishing system. It's up in, in you know, media and broadcast. Um, you know, there's a, whenever, whenever um, the, the Last Resort is my series of um, 10 short stories, which is going out on Radio 4 at the minute, and they're all narrated by Northern Irish actors. So it's 10 different Northern Irish accents on the radio over 10 weeks. And there will be complaints coming in from people about why these foreign accents are on a UK radio station. Um, really? I, yeah, oh, yeah, I absolutely know. My producers told me this. Um, so there is, we need to challenge that, you know, to, to make sure that if we're looking at inclusion, inclusion has to extend across the whole board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation, Janet. It's fantastic to, to, to see you again, albeit virtually. And I just wanted to end the conversation really by just asking you to give a shout out to your forthcoming book, um, which is also called The Last Resort, am I right? Yeah, so there is a um, print version of the 10 short stories coming out on March the 21st um, from Doubleday. And it's I've just seen the cover and it's gorgeous. And um, it's set in a caravan park in Ballycastle over a very wet weekend in February. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun, but also tackling some contemporary issues that we've talked about today. And then my next novel, um, No Promised Land, will be out with you in February of next year. So the proofs should be circulate, circulating at the end of the summer. Um, so, Can you tell us a bit about that, Jan, I, uh, just to yes. finish off with it? Yes, I'm deep in the edits at the minute, so it's it's the, the bane of my life at the minute. Um, it's probably the hardest and the easiest book I've ever written. Um, it's set in 1993 in um, a rural Protestant evangelical village similar to the one I grew up in, um, and it's about an incident that happens in a local primary school and the repercussions of that, how it spreads out across the, the village and affects the families and um, affects the different religious communities um, but you know one of the things a lot of people don't understand from outside of Northern Ireland is our version of Protestantism isn't one Protestantism it's multiple multiple different versions um, and this book kind of explores that um, and it's also slightly magic realist in, in tendency but um, there's a lot of me in this book so it's been very easy to write in terms of I know these people but it's also when you're that close to your your childhood it's also quite a hard read sometimes as well. Well we really look forward to reading that Jan and we look forward to hosting you at the Irish Cultural Centre in Hammersmith again as soon as we can and thank Thank you so so much. much for talking to us today. Cheers thank you Anne.